In this sermon series, we're studying the wisdom psalms. These lyrical lessons to live by proclaim practical understanding for our daily lives while pointing us to Jesus, the very embodiment of all wisdom. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you that uh, you're in charge. You know this is the way that the service needs to go this morning. And so we're trusting you in that. You know what we need to hear. You know what we need to see. And so reveal yourself to us uh, in the midst of this gathering. Uh, Growing up, my uh, dad taught me a lot of things um, about what it means to just live in this life, uh, just as a human and as a a man and, and all of those things. A lot of lessons. He taught me to work hard. He taught me uh, to leave things better than you found them. He taught me, uh, I don't know how many times, my dad taught me to suck it up and uh, push through. But at the same time, my dad taught me to love poetry. He taught me to love music. He taught me that sometimes it's okay to do the things that others might call tender things, to embrace those things as well. My dad loved poetry, and, and one of the poets he loved was Robert Frost, and if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with the name, you're probably familiar with these words. It's one of his more famous poems. It ends this way. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the road less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. So maybe you uh, heard those words in school, or I'm not sure, but uh, that's a very famous poem by Robert Frost. We're jumping into a sermon series through the book of Psalms. Well, not through the whole book of Psalms, but through the wisdom Psalms. A list of, of Psalms that are categorized by speaking to wisdom. A lot of people have categorized the Psalms over the years and centuries. That's a human activity. Uh, These aren't biblically known as the wisdom psalms, but this is a way that people have gone about understanding and studying the psalms to break them down into these categories. The list will tend to differ, too. Like some people will say, these are the psalms of praise, and somebody else will say, well, there's a few that should be on that list, and there's a few that shouldn't. Same with the psalms of, of wisdom. We're going after a a certain list that some people might say it doesn't have enough on it. Some might say it's too few. But again, this is a human activity to categorize them. But we wanted to go after these wisdom psalms. Wisdom, after all, is understanding to live by. Uh, What is required day to day in the practical ins and outs of this life. That's wisdom. And the reason we've called the series Lyrical Lessons to Live By is because the Psalms are also songs. So the Hebrew word is mizmor. It gets translated into a Greek word, psalmos, just like psalms, but with an O-S at the end of it, psalmos. And then, of course, we have the word psalms. We, we call it the Psalter. It's a song book. That's the meaning of the, of the word. And so these are lyrical lessons to live by the psalms uh the book of psalms is literally a book of songs and you see just like robert frost was presented with two roads 
It's a little bit of an indecisive poem, quite frankly. He, he has trouble choosing which way he's, he's going to go in that, in that poem. We, too, are only, as humanity, presented with two roads to go on. The ways of God or the ways of this world. And it's that simple. It's not that easy. It's not easy, but it is that simple. There are two roads to choose from, and which road we choose makes, makes all the difference. Will we walk in the ways of God or will we not? And that's what we'll see today in, in Psalm chapter 1. We're going to see that wisdom, which is what this series is going to be all about, that wisdom exists only on one road, the Calvary road of love. And what I mean by that is, is there's this scripture that says, take up your cross and follow after me. And what that looks like is to walk in the ways of Jesus. What that looks like is to walk in obedience to the word of God. What that looks like is to become more and more Christ-like. And so the only place that wisdom exists is on the road, the Calvary road of love, where Jesus walks with his people. That's what we'll see today in Psalm chapter 1. There's really not a better place to start this series than Psalm one, not only is it numerically first, but it also serves as this sum, uh, summary, um, this benediction, this intro to the entire book of Psalms, and in particular, these wisdom Psalms that we'll look at. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, starts with these words, blessed is the man, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the person, that's how it starts, and it's going to define who it is that's blessed. The first two verses, verse 1 is going to show us, is going to define it negatively. The person who is blessed is the person who doesn't do these things. And the verse 2 is going to show us the person who is blessed is the person who does this. So we're going to see that unfold, but first that benediction. Blessed is a robust word. I mean, it really is in, in Hebrew. And I'm again, I'm no Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I know how to read books. And so this word is oftentimes translated more fully, not just blessed, but, oh, the blessedness for the person. Or even might the multiplicity of blessing be poured out on the one who is blessed. That's how rich that single word is in Hebrew, that it can really spill out into that much understanding that there would be happiness, joy, particular other things that would be poured out on Whoever does X, Y, or Z. That's the point of this psalm. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the man. In its entirety, it reads like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorners. This is the negative definition of the one who is blessed. There's some things that the one who is blessed avoids. And it really unfolds, interestingly, and, and with contrast, that the one who is blessed is not, not, not these three things. And these three things unfold in steps. You notice first there's a walking, right? And then there's a standing, and then there's a sitting. First, they're walking in the council, right? Like it's just the, the hearing and the understanding, like, oh, that sounds kind of nice, or that sounds believable, right? And there's all kinds of counsel in this world. All kinds of it, right? And we can hear it and pick up on it from a million different places. 
So the council, maybe just the hearing of it, and then the actual being in the way of it, the actual lifestyle change to accommodate the way of sinners. And then lastly, they sit scoffing. That's interesting to me, too, that they end up in that place scoffing. The posture of the person who has fully committed themselves to a way different than the way of God is scoffing. They begin to scoff at the way of God. Listen, the person who has plunged the most deeply into sinfulness is not the person who's scandalous. Like, oh, look at all that they've done. Can you believe how strung out they are? Can you believe how icky their sin is? That's not the one. The one who has plunged most deeply into the path of sin is the one who scoffs at the things of God. You see, sin oftentimes can actually be what advances us in, in life. It can actually get us to the places we want to be. And so sometimes it's the most fantastically uh, successful people in the world who are the ones who are scoffing at the things of God. But their success, their prominence is not a marker of where they are. Charles Spurgeon says it harshly like this. He, he's been, we're, we can't quote him next week because it's been three weeks in a row. I've decided he's, he's got to be done with, with him. He's going to take a week off. But he says, The seat of the scorner may be very lofty, but it is very near to the gates of hell. Let us flee from it. For it shall soon be empty, and destruction shall swallow up the man who sits therein. The person who sits and says, I've got it all figured out. I know the way, and all the ways of God are foolishness and ridiculous. I don't have to submit to them. I don't have to put myself under them. I know better than God knows. That is the one, no matter where they sit in this life. The scorner is on the, is on the path to destruction. And so the psalmist says, blessed is the one who stays as far away from that as possible who doesn't look at the ways of the world, and I know that's a real generic term, but when, you, when I say the ways of the world, think of things that are not the ways of God. It could be anything. It could be a million different ways of living, and there are all kinds of, of worldviews out there and ways that we could shape our lives, but, but if it's outside of, of the ways of God, then that is the, is the road to, to avoid. Then he turns to the positive, though, Verse 2, like verse 1 said, what he's not marked by, what she's not marked by, verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Get this today, at the center of all wisdom and all blessing is a delight in the ways of God. A delight in the word of God. The, the word here is Torah. You've probably heard that if you've been around church long enough. Torah typically represents the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Hebrew word for those books was, was Torah. But it means way more than just a study of those five books of the Bible. It is actually a, a very deep word, meaning everything that has to do with the revelation of God. And God has revealed himself in his word and through Jesus. That's how we know him specifically. 
We specifically know him. But he's also generally revealed himself through creation and through relationships and through all these other things through which we see God revealed to us. And the person who is blessed is the one who delights in the ways of God as they are revealed through the word of God and through the life of Jesus and through all the other ways that God reveals himself to his people. The idea is that this is a person who has adopted all the revelation of God and is beginning to shape their life based on that revelation. They've turned away from other worldviews and they have adopted the worldview of the world maker. What he says about money, what he says about justice, what he says about forgiveness, what he says about work ethic, what he says about family, what he says about insert whatever, becomes shaped by that. And it's not just shaped by it in some like rough way, but it's a delight in the ways of God, delighting in the ways of God. David, who we're not sure if he's the one who wrote the first psalm or not, but David will say later in another one of his psalms that the ways of God are like honey for his mouth, and they're more precious than gold to him, sweeter than honey and, and worth more than, than money. That's delight. Because living the ways of God, and if you are a Christian here today, you can testify of the times when you submitted to live in the way of God, that's when you tasted and saw that the Lord is good. That he is worthy of your life, worthy of every breath and every move that you make in this life. And so we delight in it. Not only that, but we meditate on it day and night. In the night when all seems lost, we cling to the ways of God. In the day when everything is, is, is seen and, and glorious, we sing of the ways of God. It is with us everywhere we go. In the mundane, in the miraculous, in the burdensome, and in the, and in the, in the boring, and the beautiful, in every aspect of life, we carry with us and keep returning to the ways of God revealed in Scripture, revealed in the Word of God. So verse 1 says turn away from these things. Verse 2 says turn towards these things. And before we move to verse 3, we have to stop and ask ourselves these questions. Where are we at in comparison to Psalm 1-1? Where are we at in comparison to Psalm 1-2? Uh, as far as Psalm 1-1 is concerned, one of the examples, and I just know it's like a zinger for me, so maybe it'll be a zinger for you, is think about your phone, right? Like these digital devices. When you think about how you utilize your, your digital device, and I'm talking about your diet, like what you're consuming, and not just what you're consuming, but how much of it you're consuming, what would it say about you in comparison to Psalm 1-1? Are we walking in the counsel of the wicked? And, and that, that sounds like super harsh, right? Of course, I'm not walking in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not going to any like, uh, you know, seances or, you know, satanic, you know, whatever. No, no, no. The ways of the world, the worldview of those around us. When you scroll through your phone and you see this way of living presented and you become jealous of it. 
But deep down, you know, for you to walk in that way, you would have to surrender to uh, leaving the ways of, of God to achieve it. Maybe not in major ways, but little compromises. But you long for that lifestyle. Or, or it's just sheerly the wasted time of the, of the device. Here's the point I'm getting at, and I know that's like a guilt trip. And, and we're, trust me, grace is coming in every sermon that you ever hear preached at Mercy Village Church. But sit under the weight first. Of the desperate need that each of us have to examine our own lives. Apply the question to anything, to your relationships, to your hobbies, to, to whatever it is that you're doing in your life. Are you slowly listening to the ways of the world and adopting them into your life? Or are you leveraging your hobbies and your digital devices and your relationships to push you further into the ways of God? Verse 2 is convicting as well when we examine it. How are you doing there, right? Like some of us are teetotalers and we can say uh, like very legalistically, well, I, I don't smoke cigarettes and, you know, I, I don't get drunk and I don't like I've avoided all these sins. So you, you can look at me and I look holy, but do you delight in the word? You've avoided the negatives, but have you embraced the positives? Do we read the Bible? Do we meditate on it, memorize it, learn from it, obey it? Is it with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week as a part of who we are, guiding us to walk joyfully in the ways of God? That's convicting. That's convicting. But may we be those people who are marked by both because the results are beautiful. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. First, by the way, how sweet is it that we're planted? Here's why. Matthew fifteen thirteen says this is Jesus talking. He answered and said, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. The only hope of everlasting fruitfulness and everlasting stability is to have been planted by the father and what the psalmist just said is that the one who walks in the ways of god and turns away from the ways of the world is someone who has been planted by god oh to have the everlasting root system that comes from being planted by god beside the living waters of pardon and grace and promise and communion with christ because the results are beautiful, he gives three pictures, one of fruitfulness, one of leaves that don't wither, and one of uh, whatever is being done will prosper. The first is fruitfulness in the right season. The children of God will bear the right fruit at the right time. They'll have love in seasons of enemies. They'll have joy in seasons of sorrow. They'll have peace in seasons of Chaos, kindness in seasons of attack, faithfulness in seasons of doubt, gentleness in seasons of frustration, self-control in seasons of temptation. That'll be the fruitfulness of the children of God. Fruit comes in its season. And so do leaves, right? He talks about the leaves that don't wither. 
right? Like in our, especially in our neck of the woods, the leaves die, go away, they come back in the spring, and we see every fall leaves that wither and fall away. But God promises that the true child of God is an evergreen. The leaves never wither. They never fade. Here's the application, quite frankly, is that not even the smallest little thing that you do in the name of Christ will ever be without value. Every act of service behind the scenes that nobody else sees or celebrates, every selfless act, even the smallest little act of kindness that you did yesterday at, at 2.32 p.m. when your kids came to you and you were already frustrated at them and you chose to respond with patience instead of with anger. Even those smallest little acts of Christ-likeness have eternal value. They will not wither on the tree. God will preserve every leaf of his children and whatever they do will prosper not a single thing done in the name of Christ by the children of God will be in vain. It will prosper the way God intends it to prosper. It will fulfill the purposes that God intends them to fulfill. But a note on timing, Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. See, the promise isn't that you will have immediate prosperity prospering of the things that you do that that you witness to someone you share the gospel with them you share the gospel with them you share the gospel with them they don't respond they don't respond that tends to be the way life works you pray for x you pray for y it doesn't happen you keep striving for it but in the right season it will come so that's the promise that for the one who turns away from the ways of the world and turns to the ways of God, they will be like a tree planted by waters. They will prosper. Their leaf will not wither and their fruit will come in its season. But there's another road. And it's not as good. Verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The literal translation would be not so for the ungodly, not so. It's emphatic. That the way of the world will never lead to the same destination as the ways of God. He gives two word pictures of the end of this path. One is chaff. That's that uh, stuff that's on the outside of seeds and wheat. And when it's harvested, it's just cast off on the ground. And at that point, it becomes absolutely worthless. It's of no use except to be burned up in the fire. The wind will just blow it away. It can't survive a storm. It can't survive judgment of any kind. It, it, it's worthless and useless. That's the end the ways of the world and that's not always easy to see by the way because we look around us and we see and the and we'll be in a couple psalms as we go through this series where the psalmist look around and they see the wicked prospering they see them winning they see them getting everything that they want every time that they want it and it doesn't look like this is coming true again patience there's a there's a continuum of time for god's promises and the journey ends in a place where 
the wicked are like chaff. The other is is a picture of being in the presence of God. And there's there's two scenarios. The first is in judgment, standing before God as a as a judge, and he looks and he says to those who have chosen the ways of the world instead of the ways of God, "Depart from me, I never knew you, wick, uh, workers of iniquity." They can't stand. They can't stay before the judge. They're they're taken off to judgment. Sad, sad picture. The other is the congregation of the righteous. This is actually even more sad. That they will not share in that eternal bliss of eternity where we stand hand in hand as the children of God and worship forever in the presence of Jesus. They will not stand in judgment and they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Two roads, two outcomes. We have the ways of God on one side and the ways of the world on the other. He closes out the psalm by telling us why we can believe that the words of this psalm are true. He says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here's the idea of that picture. Think of a farmer or a gardener. They get the tiller out or, 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 you know, or the plow. And in the, the, day, the biblical times, the plow would have been pull, pulled by an oxen or, or by a donkey. And they would plow through the field. And when they were done, you would see the results of their work. Now that's done by machines. But when it's done, right, like even when the farmer goes to sleep, it's still there. You still see the, the plow line. Not only that, but there will be seeds planted in that plow line and they will grow up and you will see the work of the farm. On the other hand, imagine a luxury yacht, right? Everybody's got their sperries on, hanging out, a little party, having a good time. And that yacht is moving gloriously through the water. And as it does, it forms a wake. And man, you're like, whoa, what power! What, how awesome, how cool, but 20 minutes later you fly over in a helicopter, there will be no sign of where that boat was. That wake will have disappeared completely. That's the idea of verse 6. That no matter, right, like the boat has all the, the flashiness, but its impact doesn't last. The farmer has blood, sweat, tears, no fame. But what he does has an impact eternally. And God looks down and says, those who walk in my ways, those who walk in the ways of God, I see them. There is an impact, an eternal uh, impact to what they are doing. But those who walk in the ways of the world, it may look good for a season, but the impact is futile and it is not lasting and it will disappear. That's the wisdom this psalm. The psalmist could not have been more clear. The way to wisdom is is not a secret. Forsake the ways of the world and pursue the ways of God. Delight in the ways of God. That's it. It's that simple. But it's not easy. What a great day to be Mercy Village Church. (laughs) With all the distractions. It's not easy. In fact, the psalmist themselves 
will fail to live by Psalm 1. David's the most famous example. He's got some titles. Man after God's own heart. How sweet is that, though? Because he also has the title of murderer, adulterer, terrible father. And yet, in spite of his failings to live up to Psalm 1, he still gets the title from God, man after God's own heart. How? Why? How is that possible? It's good news, by the way, because as I read Psalm 1 all week, I'm like, that's not me. That's not me. I'm choosing the ways of the world constantly over the ways of God. I'm not delighting constantly in the word of God and in the ways of God. Good news. When you read between the lines of Psalm 1, it's not describing David. It's not describing the psalmist. It's not describing you. It's not describing me. It's describing someone better. Another king, a servant king, who will stand on a mountain and start a sermon the same way the book of Psalms starts blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. How can the kingdom of God be for the poor in spirit? Because this same one, even while we were still walking and standing and sitting in the ways of the wicked, died for us. Psalm 1 should leave us yearning for Jesus, who as we still walked in the counsel of the ungodly, listened only to the will and the words and the counsel of his Father. Jesus, the one who, while we stood in the ways of sinners, stood before sinners, falsely accused and received our punishment for sin, was falsely accused and beaten and scourged and crucified. Jesus, the one who, as we sat in the seat of scoffers, would be raised from the grave in power and take a seat as well. But his seat would be at the right hand of the Father. Where he doesn't scoff, he advocates for the children of God. Psalm 1 should leave us yearning for Jesus, who endured being hung on the tree, the cross, so that we might be planted as trees next to streams of living water, who, by the way, he is the living water, the one who feeds us, the one who quenches our thirst. Those who come to him will never thirst again. He was drugged in judgment as if guilty to the cross so that we might stand in judgment, not guilty. So that when we stand in judgment as is described in verses 4 and 5, we can stand with confidence in the finished work of Jesus, and he rose in power victorious so that one day we might be raised to glory to spend eternity in the congregation of the righteous, worshiping alongside all those who have been saved through faith in Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. Psalm 1 should leave us yearning for Jesus. The only one who can make us the type of people that Psalm 1 describes is Jesus. The only hope we have of being seen as the people described, as the, the, the righteous ones described in Psalm 1 is, is Jesus. Because one day all of us will stand, if we're children of God, true children of God, in the congregation of the righteous. But we'll stand in righteousness that's not our own. We'll stand in the righteousness of Jesus. And because of him, 
you are in Christ Jesus. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can be brought not only into relationship with God, but the picture here is we are in Christ Jesus. Who he is, his identity becomes our identity. His achievements become our achievements by faith in his finished work. On the cross, Jesus, God's perfect son, lived a perfect life. No sin. He never stood in the, in the way of the wicked. He never walked in the way of sinners. He never sat in the seat of scorners. His delight was in the law of the Lord every single second of his entire life. Man had a different plan, they thought, and that was to kill him, but that was actually God's plan. And God would redeem the death of Jesus as an opportunity for all the wrath of sin to be poured out on a perfect God-man so that God could forgive sin and still remain just. Because the punishment was received by Jesus. So he can extend forgiveness to you and me and still be a just God. While at the same time being a loving God. Because the punishment has been received by Jesus, And because of that, the true children of God are in Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. You need wisdom? You need to be in Christ. Righteousness. You need righteousness? I do. You need to be in Christ. And sanctification, you need that? You need to be made more and more like Jesus? That happens in Christ. And redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is our boast. Jesus. Psalm 1 should leave us yearning for Jesus. And all the other psalms that we will encounter in this series should do the same. Leave us yearning for Jesus. He alone is our wisdom. He alone is our righteousness. He alone is our delight. He is the law fulfilled. He is the word made flesh. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. And if you're not a Christian... I pray that today has brought you to a place of yearning for Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, simple, and you will be saved. That's what Acts 16.31 says. That promise can be yours today. Believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to make you right with God, and you will be saved. You will be in Christ. And he will make you who you long to be. Three things for us, children of God. One, forsake the ways of the world. Right? We still are in this place where we battle between the two. Paul describes it as a war within. The things we want to do, we don't do. The things we don't want to do, we do. We can look a lot like Psalm 1-1 some days. Let's forsake that way of living day in and day out. And two, let's lean into delighting in the word and in the ways of God. And then lastly this, might we follow Jesus on the Calvary road of love where he walks with his people. This quote keeps coming back to me over and over and over again. One of the most uh, transformative seasons of my life, I read a book by this man, John Piper, called Don't Waste Your Life. And this quote struck me, and it still does to this day, and it applies to us today. What a tragic waste when people turn away from the Calvary road of love and suffering. All the riches of the glory of God in Christ are on that road. All the sweetest fellowship with Jesus is there. All the treasures of assurance, all the ecstasies of joy, all the clearest sightings of eternity, all the noblest camaraderie, all the humblest affections, 
all the most tender acts of forgiving kindness, all the deepest discoveries of God's word, all the most earnest prayers, they are all on the Calvary road of love where Jesus walks with his people. So take up your cross and follow Jesus. On this road and this road alone, life is Christ and death is gain. Life on every other road is wasted. Eternally wasted. There's a lot of impact people have on other roads that'll be good. But eternally, those other roads are wasted in light of eternity. So may we take up our cross and follow after Jesus. Wisdom exists on only one road, the Calvary road of love where Jesus walks with his people. Father, take that and put it in our hearts today. That we would not see that as uh, some... uh, as being berated by scripture to kind of whip us into shape oh we gotta walk in the right path and we gotta forsake no but we will run to jesus his grace his mercy will be what we long for and that through the finished work of jesus on the cross we will know that you have the power to transform us to make our hearts love different things, to make our uh, minds think on different things, and that you will transform us more and more into the image of Christ, and we will be people who walk on the only road home, the way of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.